Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, December 6th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. Uh, My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing a great job for the kingdom. Definitely worth your while to go over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there you want to listen to, and there's a real good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So again, uh, it would be great for you to go get on over there. Uh, let's see. I want to also point you at the next to last link in our show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative here within our community. Um, Go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay's provided a very thorough description of what we're trying to do, what our goals are. So go ahead and take a read, and then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same. All right. Well, it's Wednesday morning. We're going to be continuing on in our reading like we have been. We're, you know, like I said, we're getting close to the end. I mean, because we're getting close to the end of the year. We're getting close to the end of our Bible reading plan for the year. And we still haven't decided what we're going to do next year uh, to continue staying in the Word. But we will. And uh, then for the evening segment, we're going to continue on in John chapter 16. So let's go ahead and jump into our reading for this morning's segment. We're going to go ahead and open up with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy Son thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence, but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the Spirit, 
that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right. Oh, I forgot to do that. Okay, there we go. And our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for it is from 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-eight. As is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. The head and members are of one nature, and not like that monstrous image which Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. The head was of fine gold, but the belly and thighs were of brass, the legs of iron, and the feet part of iron and part of clay. Christ's mystical body is no absurd combination of opposites. The members were mortal, and therefore Jesus died. The glorified head is immortal, and therefore the body is immortal too. For thus the record stands, Because I live, ye shall live also. As is our loving head, such is the body, and every member in particular. A chosen head and chosen members, an accepted head and accepted members, a living head and living members. If the head be pure gold, all the parts of the body are of pure gold also. Thus is there a double union of nature as a basis for the closest communion. Pause here, devout reader, and see if thou canst, without ecstatic amazement, contemplate the infinite condescension of the Son of God, in thus exalting thy wretchedness into blessed union with his glory. Thou art so mean, that in remembrance of thy mortality thou mayest say to corruption, Thou art my father, and to the worm, Thou art my sister. And yet in Christ thou art so honored, that thou canst say to the Almighty, Up! Excuse me, Abba, Father, and to the incarnate God, thou art my brother and my husband. Surely if relationships to ancient and noble families make men think highly of themselves, we have whereof to glory over the heads of them all. Let the poorest and most despised believer lay hold upon this privilege. Let not a senseless indolence make him negligent to trace his pedigree, and let him suffer no foolish attachment to present vanities, to occupy his thoughts to the exclusion of this glorious, this heavenly honor of union with Christ. All right. For our reading for today, we're going to be reading Hosea 4 and 5, 2 John 1, Psalm 125, and Proverbs 29, verses 9 through 11. So Hosea 4. Listen to the word of Yahweh, O sons of Israel. For Yahweh has a contention against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth or loving kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing of oaths, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They break forth in violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and everyone who inhabits it languishes along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. Yet let no man contend, and let no man offer reproof. Indeed, your people are like those who contend with the priest. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from ministering as my priest, since you have forgotten the law of your God. I myself also will forget your children. The more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into disgrace. They eat the sin of my people, and lift up their soul toward their iniquity. 
and it will be like people, like priests, so I will punish them for their ways, and cause their deeds to return to them. They will eat, but not be satisfied. They will play the harlot, but not break forth in number, because they have forsaken Yahweh to keep harlotry. Harlotry, wine, and new wine take away a heart of wisdom. My people ask their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand declares to them, for a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. They offer sacrifices on the tops of the mountains, and burn incense on the hills, under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore your daughters play the harlot, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot, or your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots, and offer sacrifices with cult prostitutes. So the people without understanding are ruined. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, do not let Judah become guilty. Also do not go to Gilgal, nor go up to beth Aven, and swear the oath, as Yahweh lives. Since Israel is stubborn, like a stubborn heifer, can Yahweh now feed them like a lamb in a large field? Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink gone. They play the harlot continually. Their rulers dearly love disgrace. The wind binds them up in its wings, and they will be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Hosea 5 Hear this, O priests. Give heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For the judgment is for you, for you have been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread out on Tabor. And the revolters have dug deep into slaughtering, but I will chastise all of them. I know, Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the harlot. Israel has defiled itself. Their deeds will not allow them to return to their God, for a spirit of harlotry is within them, and they do not know Yahweh. Moreover, the pride of Israel answers against him, and Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also has stumbled with them. They will go with their flocks and herds to seek Yahweh, but they will not find him. He is withdrawn from them. They have dealt treacherously against Yahweh, for they have borne children of strangers. Now the new moon will devour them with their portions. Blow the horn, I'm sorry, blow the horn in Gabeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Make a loud shout at beth Aven. Behind you, Benjamin, Ephraim will become a desolation in the day of reproof. Among the tribes of Israel I will make known what is true. The princes of Judah have become like those who move a boundary. On them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to walk after man's command. Therefore I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like rottenness to the house of Judah. Then Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah his sore. So Ephraim went to Assyria, and sent to King Jerob. But he is unable to heal you, or to cure you of your sore. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away. I will carry away, and there will be none to deliver. I will go away and return to my place, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction they will seek me earnestly. Second John 1 the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. 
grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we received commandment from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. See to yourselves that you do not lose what we accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, so that your joy may be made complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Psalm 125, A Song of Ascents Those who trust in Yahweh are as, as Mount Zion, which will not be shaken, but will abide forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so Yahweh surrounds his people, from now until forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous, so that the righteous would not send forth their hands in unrighteousness. Do good, O Yahweh, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But as for those who turn aside to their crooked ways, Yahweh will lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Finally, Proverbs 29, verses 9-11. through 11. When a wise man is brought into judgment with a man who is an ignorant fool, the ignorant fool both rages and laughs, and there is no rest. Men of bloodshed hate the blameless, but the upright seek the well-being of his soul. A fool lets out all of his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I, I continue to pray that this time together helps you and I both to stay saturated in the Word of God um, as we are commanded to be. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. We're going to go ahead and close out with a prayer from uh, Valley of Vision. It's called New Beginning. Let's pray. Incomprehensible, great, and glorious God, I adore thee and abase myself. I approach thee mindful that I am less than nothing, a creature worse than nothing. My thoughts are not screened from thy gaze. My secret sins blaze in the light of thy countenance. Enable me to remember that blood which cleanseth all sin, to believe in that grace which subdues all iniquities, to resign myself to that agency which can deliver me from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Thou hast begun a good work in me, and canst alone continue and complete it. Give me an increasing conviction of my tendency to err, and of my exposure to sin. Help me to feel more of the purifying, softening influence of religion, its compassion, love, pity, courtesy, and employ me as thy instrument in blessing others. 
Give me to distinguish between the mere form of godliness and its power, between life and a name to live, between guile and truth, between hypocrisy and a religion that will bear thy eye. If I am not right, set me right, keep me right, and may I at last come to thy house in peace. Amen. Alright again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, December 6th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be getting back into our study of John chapter 16 this evening. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. We're going to open up with one from Valley Vision called Conflict. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art my protecting arm, fortress, refuge, shield, buckler. Fight for me, and my foes must flee. Uphold me, and I cannot fall. Strengthen me, and I stand unmoved, unmovable. Equip me, and I shall receive no wound. Stand by me, and Satan will depart. Anoint my lips with a song of salvation, and I shall shout thy victory. Give me abhorrence of all evil, as a vile monster that defies thy law, casts off thy yoke, defiles my nature, spreads misery, teach me to look to Jesus on his cross, and so to know sin's loathsomeness in thy sight. There is no pardon but through thy son's death, no cleansing but in his precious blood, no atonement but but his to expiate sin. Show me the shame, the agony, the bruises of incarnate God, that I may read boundless sorry, that I may read boundless guilt in the boundless price. May it discern the deadly viper in its real malignity. Tear it with holy indignation from my breast. Resolutely turn from its every snare. Refuse to hold polluting dalliance with it. Blessed Lord Jesus, at thy cross may I be taught the awful miseries from which I am saved. Ponder what the word lost implies. See the fires of eternal destruction. Then may I cling more closely to thy broken self. Adhere to thee with firmer faith. Be devoted to thee with total being. Detest sin as strongly as thy love to me is strong and may holiness be the atmosphere in which I live. Amen. All right. Well, our evening devotion, uh, the text for it comes from Revelation 1.13, Gird about the paps with a golden girdle. Uh, let's see. One like unto the Son of Man appeared to John in Patmos, and the beloved disciple marked that he wore a girdle of gold, a girdle for Jesus never was ungirt while upon earth, but stood always ready for service. And now before the eternal throne he stays not his holy ministry, but as a priest is girt about with the curious girdle of the ephod. Well, it is for us that he has not ceased to fulfill his office of love for us, since this is one of our choicest safeguards, that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Jesus is never an idler. His garments are never loose, as though his offices were ended. He diligently carries on the cause of his people." a golden girdle to manifest the superiority of his service, the royalty of his person, the dignity of his state, the glory of his reward. No longer does he cry out of the dust, but he pleads with authority. 
a king as well as a pre- as a priest. Sure, safe enough is our cause in the hand of our enthroned Melchizedek. Our Lord presents all his people with an example. We must never unbind our girdles. This is not the time for lying down at ease. It is the season of service and warfare. We need to bind the girdle of truth more and more tightly around our loins. It is a golden girdle, and so will be our richest ornament, and we greatly need it, for a heart that is not well braced up with the truth as it is in Jesus, and with the fidelity which is wrought of the Spirit, will be easily entangled with the things of this life, and tripped up by the snares of temptation. It is in vain that we possess the Scripture, unless we bind them around us like a girdle, surrounding our entire nature, keeping each part of our character in order, and giving compactness to our whole man. If in heaven Jesus unbinds not the girdle, much less may we upon earth stand upon earth. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Um let me explain something to you real quick, because this is not this is not standard clothing like you and I would deal with, so um I want to explain something to you. The girdle they're talking about, you gotta realize, um in that day and time that John was writing of in Patmos. Um, men typically wore, um, long robes or gowns that, I mean, they went to the ankle or near the ankle. So when the man needed to move quickly, like moving in the field, trying to do field work or was going into battle, what they would do is they would wrap a girdle around their waist. Um, that was like a belt a really, really heavy belt, but they would tuck their robes like through the legs and up into the girdle, usually in the front to hitch up this long robe to bring it up their legs more, giving them freer movement in the legs, thus being ready to go. That is what Spurgeon is talking about. There is being girt up, being ready to go. You'll, you'll even see that um, in Ephesians six, talking about the full armor of God. And that's what he's talking about. The girdle of truth that that's the girdle there, that girdle of truth, that girdle, um, meant, and that being wrapped and t- everything tucked in meant you were ready to go. You were ready for battle. You were ready for war. Um, but you were, you were ready to go and do. <clears throat> so that's what Spurgeon was referring to there. All right. Well, like I said, we're moving on in our study of John chapter six or 16, excuse me. Um, And we're wrapping up this evening, this section about the Holy Spirit convicting the world. Okay. So, um, let me go ahead and read our verses. I'm just going to read this whole, this whole section. Um, sorry, I need to back up a little bit here. I'm going to read this whole section from verse one through verse 11. Actually, no, I'm not. Sorry. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to read just verse eight through 11, which are the ones we're dealing with tonight. Um, so this, again, this is Jesus still addressing the disciples in this upper room discourse. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness, because I go to the father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So, sorry. So like we've been talking about. The disciples are falling apart. Their faith is struggling. Um, their their rabbi is leaving them. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be murdered. Um, the 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 fact is, um, you got to think about, um, in all probability, 
Um, they're sitting there thinking about, because we, we've seen, we've already talked about the fact that, that, you know, even in the comforting of the disciples that we dealt with last night, verses five through seven, that Jesus kind of calls them out because they're very self-focused. He's been very selfless with them, even with what he's going through. And they've been very, very self-focused. They've, they've been all about them and how this is going to affect them. So, like I said, Jesus called them out with this. So we've seen the conflict with the world. Of course, the Holy, Holy Spirit conflicts with the world. And we've seen the comforting of the disciples that the Holy Spirit, well, that Jesus did by bringing up the fact that the advocate will, will come to us when he leaves and that he has to leave so that the Holy Spirit will come to them. So again, it should be comforting. So what we're seeing tonight in verses 8 through 11 is the convicting by the Spirit. And of course, we read in with that. And he, when he comes, will convict the world. And then it goes on to talk about that. So this conviction not only applies to believers, but to the unbelieving world. We have to understand that. You know, there, there, there are a couple of different kinds of convictions. There's the judicial conviction, as in like the convicting of a crime, convicting someone of a crime. But then there is also the conviction within self, that conviction that makes you realize that I should be doing better or I should be doing something different, that I'm not doing what I should be doing, um, which is typically, honestly, that that's what I felt. That's when I was brought to a saving faith in Christ. I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit definitely smacked me with a load of conviction. And actually, it happens kind of regularly. Um, Pastor Jay will preach something from the pulpit and it'll just hit me. And I'm like, I never thought of that that way, but wow, I am really not doing that the way I should be doing, you know, kind of thing. So there's that kind of conviction as well. So the conviction is not only for the believers, which tends to be more that, Hey, wow. I like, well, like I, like, I think I've told you before that the conviction of my total depravity was what really put me on my knees and brought me to that place of humility where I was ready for the Holy spirit to bring a, bring about saving faith for me to regenerate me. Um, so that kind of conviction, but again, there's the judicial conviction as well. And that's, you know, we see him talking about that in verse 11, verse 11, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Well, that's that conviction. We have to understand, um, you and I need to understand that. And, and this is the Bible is extremely clear about this. We cannot be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit in convicting us of sin and of providing regeneration to us. We're unable to do anything about that ourselves. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and this is Paul referring to the Ephesians, pointing out to the Ephesians where they were coming from. So this is you and I outside of the saving work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. This same one talked about in verse 11 in our, in our work. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So that's, that's Paul explaining where they came from where we've come from and where we would still be without the work of the Holy Spirit in us, that convicting work of the Holy Spirit and the work of regeneration of the Holy Spirit in us. 
Um, Paul goes on in Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 19. He's explaining how the Gentiles walk and how these Ephesians walked previous, how you and I walked previously. So Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Therefore, this I say and testify in the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You know, that makes very, very clear. I mean, speaking of being dead in our sins and trespasses, being darkened in our minds, alienated from the life of God, this is all outside the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Romans 3, 10 through 18, I'm going to read to you, and people hate to hear this one. And this is actually Paul. He actually quotes from two different Psalms. It's Psalm 14, and I forget what the other one is. But this is Psalm 3, or Romans 3, 10 through 18. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. Aside, sorry. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That's from Psalm 14 and actually another Psalm. David writes the exact same thing. So it goes on. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a clear description of where we are outside of the Holy Spirit, outside of the work, the convicting work and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. So we see here in our verses, Jesus speaking in the spirit when he comes convicting of three specific things. So again, that convicting work. So he speaks of the convicting of three separate things. And we see that in our next three verses. So verse nine. So we've seen that the lead in in eight and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay. So those are the three. So verse nine concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So this is, this is talking about sin in general, but mainly this is talking about the sin of unbelief. That's the only one that cannot be forgiven. We have to understand that that's the one that cannot be forgiven. And, and please understand, I'm not saying somebody that, that young in their life or somebody, It's not that somebody, I'm not saying that somebody can't be brought to a saving faith. This is speaking of someone that refuses to believe in Jesus Christ. Someone that has made a practice, someone that has hardened their heart. Remember, we're talking about hardening their heart back in Ephesians, their hearts being hardened. This is someone who has hardened their heart and will not believe in Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. That sin of unbelief, um, you know, uh, and, and we see that clearly in the scriptures, John three eighteen, he who believes in him talking of Christ is not judged. This is Jesus talking about Jesus. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. He hasn't believed in Jesus Christ. John five forty, 
and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Come to me means believe in me, believe in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life, so that you may have a saving faith, so that you may believe. John 8, 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's saying there, for for unless you believe that I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, you will die in your sins. Again, it's that sin of unbelief that's having all the facts before you being presented with all the evidence. And you got to realize that, that by, by the fact of John, by the time of John eight twenty four, um, the amount of teachings and miracles and everything else that was out there, all the evidence was there to tell anybody that this was the son of God. And if they're continuing to choose to not believe, then they'll die in their sins. They're convicted. That's the conviction we're talking about. That's the conviction done by the Holy Spirit. He's convicting the world. And the next one is convicting of righteousness. So verse 10, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see, see me. The righteousness here is not a personal righteousness, not our righteousness. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And believe me, that's that's one we, t- we tend to get stumbled up with a bit. Um, it is one of those things where we struggle with, where we want, we as humans, we want to be given a list of things we have to do to accomplish. I mean, that that's, that's just human nature. But the problem is when it comes to being saved, we can't, there is no checklist you and I can work our way through. There is no special thing we can do that puts paid to everything else. We cannot be, we, that we do not have what Jesus said, um, and I forget who he was saying it to, but he he was like, unless you have, unless you are more righteous than the Pharisees, you, you, you cannot, you cannot earn your way into the, into the kingdom of God, unless you are more righteous than the Pharisees. Now, now believe me at the same time, he was talking smack against the Pharisees. Um, not, not trying to be ugly, but he was being really clear that, I mean, that for the Pharisees, that was a big part of theirs is trying to do any and everything to earn as much righteousness as they could, but they can't, I mean, they can't. And so he was trying to say, unless you can earn more than that. And the fact is these guys were the experts at trying to do anything that, that is why any, any, any bit of faith out there that tries to tell you that there are things you have to do to earn grace, things you have to do to earn righteousness, to earn your way into heaven is false and is of the devil. Okay. So again, this righteousness here is not personal righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is his righteousness that we are draped with and allows us, like it says in Ephesians one, um, to stand holy and blameless before a just God. Nothing of, nothing of ours. It's not our righteousness. It is Jesus righteousness that is imputed to us as our sins are imputed to him. And I wanted to read this to you. Romans 1, 15 through 17. In this way, for my part, I am eager to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, 
but the righteous will live by faith. Now, the reason I quoted those verses, these verses were what brought Martin Luther to a true understanding of the fact that it is not our righteousness that earns salvation, but an alien righteousness placed upon us that brings about salvation. That alien righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is imputed to us upon the Holy Spirit regenerating us. Again, and that was the thing, that that is honestly, that is what opened Martin Luther up to dig back into the scriptures and brought him to the point of posting the 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg chapel. Okay. Um, was that realization for in it, the righteousness of God. Again, the Greek there makes clear that righteousness is not our righteousness. It is, it is the righteousness of God that brings about, brings about, um, or that comes through the saving work of the Holy spirit. We are convicted by the comparison of our righteousness or lack thereof against the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect righteousness. We're convicted by that. That's the thing. It, it becomes, you know, and I definitely came from before I was saved. I thought I was a nice guy. I thought I was an okay guy. And I, and I guess I was by worldly standards, but I was comparing myself to the world. And when it was made clear to me that I was comparing myself to the wrong criteria, that, that, that the thing I had to be, that, that the thing, the, um, that the criteria, the bar I had to be measured against was God, was Jesus Christ, that I could never measure up to it, that only the righteousness of Christ draped on me would be of that righteousness level that I could stand before God. No, and note this part because he, as he says at the end, because I go to the father and you no longer see me. This is evidence of Jesus righteousness himself. Again, Jesus is saying he's going to go to the father. Well, nobody can stand before the father that is, that is righteous. Um, Habakkuk one thirteen. your eyes are too pure to see evil and you cannot look on trouble. Do you think that if Jesus righteousness was anything but a perfect righteousness that he could have stood before God? Well, that's the righteousness that Jesus drapes upon us, thus allowing us to stand holy and blameless before a just God, as it, as it speaks of in Ephesians 1. So again, that conviction from that righteousness. And then the convicting by the Holy Spirit concerning judgment, verse 11, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. We know that the world's judgment is completely flawed. So it is convicting about that judgment. Our world judges that women can be men and men can be women. It judges that obvious life in the womb is not life and therefore just garbage to be flushed at a whim. Our world judges that crime is no longer crime anymore and does not need to be punished. Our world judges that those that enter our borders illegally should be treated just like those of us who are legal citizens, which has led to widespread crime waves. Our world judges that worshiping the creation, the planet and climate, instead of the creator of it all, makes more sense. Our world judges that truth is relative. All of this is driven by the ruler of this world. Again, that's verse you know, 11 says that, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. All of this is driven by the ruler of this world, Satan, who has already been judged and whose punishment will come at the end of the age. It is this judgment that the Holy Spirit comes to convict. And again, we have to understand 
The Holy Spirit comes to convict, but the fact is we got to remember Jesus has beaten him. Jesus has removed, has taken away the power of death. Jesus has defeated Satan already. It's done in, in Satan's greatest hour. When the Messiah was being crucified, that was his greatest failure. He destructed himself. He destroyed himself because in that crucifixion and then resurrection, Jesus gained power over death. He destroyed the power of death and he put an end to the work of Satan. I mean, not that it won't still go on, but the fact is Satan eventually loses period. We already know that. And that's the conviction here. But that's the thing. These judgments we see in our world, they're driven by this. And it is that conviction. I, I, for those of us that are truly saved, I don't, I, it, 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 at least for my wife and I, we sit there and we look at the stuff that is going on in our community and our state and our country around the world. And we are just appalled. It makes us want to weep because we are fools. Our world is fools. It is folly. Everything is folly. Um, the, the ridiculousness, the, the fact is there's no such thing as facts anymore. I mean, it doesn't matter if you can see something exactly as it is. If you don't want to perceive it that way, you can turn around and tell somebody this. it's not that way. I mean, we, we, people get in trouble because they won't refer to somebody by what they want to be referred by. And I'm not talking a name. I mean, that's the thing. Somebody wants to go from being Bob to being Charlie or something like that. Okay, fine. You want to legally change your name? Okay, fine. But you want to tell me that I have to go and say that somebody that is genetically a man is a woman. That is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. They are not. Well, maybe, they, well, they feel that way. So feelings don't matter squat. Reality, truth does not care about your feelings. Truth does not care about your feelings. And let's be clear in this world and in this generation, we have all got to, let's see, how do I want to put this? We all, we all have to man and woman up and start behaving like adults. Start, start behaving like mature people and put aside our feelings and all our weepies and our, and our triggers and our, and all that garbage and start being constructive citizens in this world. Because I'm sorry, when, when, when that's all you're doing, all you are is a victim and honestly a burden to the rest of the world. Get over it. Put your shoulder to the grindstone, put yourself in the traces and start pulling the dadgum wagon and making a difference in this world instead of sitting there whining about it. That that's the thing. I, 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 our world is ridiculous. Our world is ridiculous and the Holy spirit has come to convict it. And that's we as Christians, as we see this stuff, that's the thing. We, we feel that conviction in ourselves because we're looking at this stuff going, this is ridiculous. I, I mean, some of the commercials that we see that my wife and I see come across, we're like, you've got to be kidding me that they're doing a commercial about this. It is repugnant. I mean, it does not belong on the TV, but it's okay now. But again, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world. And that's what Jesus is showing them. 
It is in conflict with the world. He comforted the disciples. But we see the convicting by the Spirit. All right, that's going to do it for this evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I continue to pray that this time in the Word helps to helps us all to get a deeper understanding of the Scriptures. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We'll close out with the fourth day evening prayer, God All-Sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine in its fullness. The power created the un- thy I'm sorry, excuse me, thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace! How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee! Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts, by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful night, and I hope to see you for tomorrow morning's segment. And you're, have a good one. God bless. Thank you.